Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about truth and grace boldly. I'm so glad you're here. Hey guys, it's Haley, and this is episode 119 of Kindled. Today I'm talking with Lori Wilbert about the topic of touch. Whether it's fearful side hugs on one side or sexual abuse on the other, both the culture and the church aren't doing very well with touch. Singles are staying single longer, dating is wrought with angst over purity, and marriages struggle to not interpret all forms of touch as sexual. Even the Bible seems to have endless rules about not touching things. There is simply no place where touch doesn't seem threatened or threatening. But a curious thing happens when Jesus comes into his ministry. He touches. Jesus touches the sick and the outcast, the bleeding and the unclean. That right there is the blurb for Lori's book, Handle with Care. And we're getting into that topic a little bit today, as well as some of her own story. Before we do, I want to give you a little bit of an update as far as what is happening this summer with Kindled. I have decided after much deliberation back and forth to go ahead and take a summer break from publishing new episodes. This is a super hard decision for me, just going to be honest, because I really love doing the show. I love publishing. I love having new content to share with you every single week. But as I have thought about it, I just sense that this would be a great time for me to take a rest, a break. A short pause from the show. I have every intention of coming back after that. Um, this isn't the end. It's just taking a, a break. I don't know if it'll be one month or two. I'm just going to leave it open right now and see how that goes, which is feels a little bit unprofessional of me. But at the same time, I think sometimes we don't know how much rest we need until we start. <laughs> you know, some, like it's like how you go to bed. For me, going to bed often, I'm like, I'm not tired, I'm not tired, and I delay and delay, and then all of a sudden, once I lay down, I realize just how tired I was, and then I feel like I could sleep for a full day. So that's just how I am, and I I think I need to see, you know, what God wants to do with this time in my family, and just be able to enjoy the summer with my kids, and not feel so bound to a tight production schedule when I do not have as much childcare as I typically would, so... Anyway, all that backstory just to let you guys know that I am going to publish one more episode next week uh, with Rosie McKinney, and it's on the topic of pornography. So that's a light one to end on. (laughs) I didn't plan it that way. That's just what I have scheduled, so I'm going to stick with it, as is kind of my preference. I'd I'd rather not adjust the production schedule if I don't have to. And I'm going to take a break for June and possibly July as well, and we'll see about August my oldest daughter goes to kindergarten in the fall. And so that will be a big transition, but I'll also have presumably a lot more time as, uh, you know, rhythms and school and preschool all kind of get back together. So all that to say, I am going to continue to be active and present, maybe a little less so, but still on Instagram at Haley So you can still connect with me over there. 
come say hi. We'll still be chatting. I just, I really would love to have the space to pray and think about where God wants to take this show next. So if it comes to mind, I would love for you to keep that in your prayers as well. Just pray for me that I have clarity of vision and wisdom as far as what he wants to do through Kindled and through this platform. So thank you guys so much for listening in and for being an amazing community. I cannot tell you what a gift this show is in my life. So with that, I'm going to get right into my conversation with Lori Wilbert. Welcome to Kindle, Lori. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I started actually have listened to, I think, every single one of your podcasts, of your own podcast. Are you guys still, you and Andrea, who's been on the show, Andrea Burke, producing that? Andrea is. Yeah. I had to step okay. back this spring. I just had too much on my plate. So, but she's, yeah. she's going to kill it. She's going to do a great job. That's so. awesome. That's yeah. so fun. It's been great. Well, before we hop into kind of our conversation around the book that you have written, I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself to listeners and tell us more about yourself, who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I am Lori Ferguson Wilbert and I live in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex area. I'm not from here, but I live here and I am married and we have, we have no children. So I'm not a mother in that sense, but we have experienced extensive and many miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy loss. And so familiar with kind of that side of, of motherhood and loss mm. and the struggles that come with that. I'm a writer and I was single until I was 34. So I read a lot about singleness and elite marriage. Mm-hmm. And then my book is about touch and how Jesus redeems the power of touch in our lives. And so we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I know it's like kind of a sensitive, it's, it's a little bit of a landmine topic. So right. see how it lands on the world. It releases on Tuesday. So yeah, man, that you're you're right. It is kind of a landmine topic. It's a hot topic in terms of, you know, there's so much in the media that and really more around the brokenness of touch, yeah. um, which I know we'll get into. But I think this is an incredible time to for you to have a message, you know, and to have written on this topic because so many people need a better word when it comes to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's, you know, we hear about all the Me Too stuff in the world right now, and the, there's so much Church Too stuff as well. So it's happening in the church. I think we're deceived and just kind of off track and not super rooted in this subject in either the world or the church. I don't think we have a good theology of it. And so that was kind of, yeah, why I wanted to write the book. Yeah, that's a great point. Before I ask you more about that, the other question I really like to ask guests is what work looks like for you and then where you're seeing God's grace in your life. Hmm, I love that. Work is looking different for me right now than it normally looks. So I normally write a lot. I'm normally publishing a lot of pieces and writing a lot. And that's really kind of, I think, where I find my, that's, you know, Eric Little's, when I run, I feel God's joy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's where I feel God's joy and God's pleasure the most is in writing. But right now, releasing a book, it's pretty much just marketing and trying to get the word out. And so it's a lot of social media, which is not my favorite thing to sort of be thinking about a lot and, uh, and actually a lot of podcasts and things like this. So it's fun. There are fun parts of it, but it looks different. I think we have this sort of idealized view of what being a writer might look like. It's mm-hmm. you know quiet and 
pensive and contemplative and you like candles and it's very quiet, you know, and that's just not the reality for a writer today is just not um, for most writers. That's just not the reality. And so, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you say, like what percentage of your time do you actually spend writing versus all the other work? Right now I'm spending no time writing, right, um, that, which that is unfortunate, sense. but I, I would say generally I'm writing probably, I would say probably 50 to 60% of my work day is writing. Okay. Writing or research for writing. Well, I should I should say writing is probably 50%. And then there's research, marketing, mm-hmm. email, you know, all of those sort of like nitty gritty details. Yeah. So, And did, have you always been a writer, like from a young age? Did, is this just an area that you've always had an affinity for? So I think when I was about 12, I first read Madeline LaEngle's um, Troubling a Star. And I thought, that's what I want to do with my life. And so, yeah, there always was that sense of like, this is what I'm going to do. And then I went to college for English and English literature and creative writing. And um, and then I, I had a minor that was in fine arts. And so I ended up being a graphic designer for probably, mm. I don't know, eight years total. That's and cool. that was kind of... I just kind of did that and it kind of scratched that creative itch for me, but I've always, I've been writing publicly for about 20 years now. And so went full-time writing about 10 years ago. That's cool. And you've been published on a lot of websites and magazines, actually like Christianity Today, Fathom, Lifeway Leaders, The Gospel Coalition, Revive Our Hearts, which is incredible. I mean, just a testament to the work that you're doing I'm curious just from a creative's standpoint, because I, I'm actually also, I do, I do web design and graphic design. So, and I love writing just as more of a hobby, but I'm curious about how you, like, did you seek to become a quote unquote writer or was your writing more just like, Hey, I'm, I have this blog and then people started, you know, noticing it or asking me if they could publish articles. Was it like, how did that process work out in your life? Yeah, I think we live in this, you know, this real strong hustle culture right now. It's like, you know, pitch everywhere and mm-hmm. get the word out. And that was not, that's not my personality. And it's also not, so I read probably 15 years ago in Proverbs, it says a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before kings. And so I really just kind of took the approach of like, I am going to work on my gift. I'm going to work on writing. I'm going to practice writing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write every day. I'm not going to stop writing. And if God does something with it, and maybe this might be a little bit of a passive space, but it was what I had the faith to do. And so that was really my approach. And it, I think in a lot of ways still is. I mean, I've been writing for 20 years and this is my first book because I, right. I just really felt like I need to take this slow and I really want to I want to make sure that I'm lining up my personal life with my, what I'm writing. I want to make sure those two have, are, are converging more, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so most of the work that I've published, I have not, I did, I've very, very rarely submitted work. Um, most of my work has been pitched to me. Mm-hmm. And so, which is, I think I, I, that's a privilege and a blessing. And I never want to not say that because I think it, it is really hard and it can be really lonely to be a writer these days. Because I think a lot of people don't talk about sort of the mechanics of how things happen. And so that's my story. I waited and waited for people to kind of come to me. Hmm. And they did. And eventually, it took a long time, but eventually they did. And I'm really glad I went that route. I mean, I can't dictate what anyone else does for their life, but I'm really glad I went that route. It was the best way for me. Yeah. Well, I, that's interesting that you say that just because I think, you know, how you were talking about just the hustle culture and 
I think there is definitely some major romanticism around what it means to be a writer or to be published and just this idea, you know, there's just countless courses even learn how how to pitch yourself and how to get published and how to get gigs and all these things, which it's not that those things are wrong in and of themselves, but I think in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of us need more time to develop than we would like to admit. Oh my goodness. You know, as writers and as people and as uh, even our message or what is it that we're here to say? And not that it's only one thing or that it has to be perfect because that doesn't exist, but just the idea of, oh, you could have this now if you only did it the right way. Yeah. If you only had this like recipe, I think is it, yeah. yeah, it's kind of not helpful to a lot of people who might actually, that might not be the best thing for them to do. And yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just kind of a, maybe it's a discernment issue with your own, you know, where you're at in your own life and nobody can tell you if it's time. But I think there's a lot of stories that are like yours where it's like, yeah, that, you know, I've been writing 20 years and I'm just not writing my first book, you know? Yes. So it's okay. I think, I, th- I read uh, Tim Keller wrote this years and years ago, but he said, I think pastors should wait until they're two thirds of the way through their ministry to, or life, I think he said, before mm-hmm. they should write a book. Mm-hmm. And I just, man, I, I've held on to that. And I just thought, you know, I yeah. want to be someone who has integrity and who listens to wise people who've gone ahead of me. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I think there have been times where the temptation was really deep to, to just kind of run ahead of those, those spaces and, or the angst to write or be published or whatever was, was strong. But I think I really, people keep asking, how are you feeling your first book? How are you, how are you feeling about it? And I, I honestly feel really at peace. I feel very, my identity is not wrapped up in it. I don't feel like my worth is wrapped up in it. I don't, yes. I don't feel this like sense of angst within my soul that I think I see a lot of writers yeah. feel and express and ultimately get burnt out by. So I don't know what the future holds, but today yeah. I feel really just at peace with where God has me and has taken me. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm glad that we chatted about that a little bit because I think a lot of women out there find a, a lot of release and a lot of you know, value even just personally in processing their thoughts and, um, and writing, whether it's, you know, in a journal or in a uh, micro blog on Instagram or whatever, you know, there's just a lot of that. And there can be this idea that, should I write a book? You know, maybe mm-hmm. I want to write a book. And, and that actually, I'm not saying that's not even a God-given dream or, or desire, but, you know, I've had the same thought of like, when, you know, not in a sense of um, when am I ready, but like you said, like, I want to have integrity. And I know that the, you know, when I look back to like, the younger version of me, there was a very, you know, there's always a desire for us to be heard and to be known Mm -hmm. and understood. But like you said, there was a lot more angst 10 years ago than there is today. And I would imagine in 10 years from today, there will be even less angst. And so, you know, I mean, hopefully, if you're on that trajectory of sanctification, that you are growing more and more like Christ and I would imagine your words have even more power to, um, I don't know, to encourage and build up the body for the very same reason that I, you know, when I'm having trouble with a decision, like I call my older friend, Christy, who's my mentor and ask her because she's walked more life than me. And she has perspective on what I'm going through to say, you know, Haley, this is going to be okay. You're going to be okay either way. And I'm just like, ah, are you sure? You know. So yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into your story. You wrote this book and it's called, I don't know if we've said it yet, Handle with Care. And I want you to say what it's about and then we can talk about your story. 
Yeah. So I, I, mean, I just said, I, I wrote it just kind of sort of looking out at the landscapes of sort of the Me Too, Church Too world, culture, what's happening out there. And then I just began to think about my own story regarding touch and how confused I felt about some things, mm-hmm. confused in singleness, confused in marriage, confused with my family. And I just thought, I, I'm a person who like processes pretty deeply. I'm not like, I don't process quickly or sort of gloss over things. And I thought if I'm this confused about my own story, um, I can't imagine how confused our world is right now around this. And so I began to just look in scripture and I found that Jesus, he ministered to bodies with his body. I mean, we just see it all through scripture. We see it all through the gospels. And just even the fact that Jesus came as a body, God's first act with man and woman is to touch them, it's to form them. And so all these sort of theological ideas around touch started to come and and so I wrote the book. And so it, we, we, I just walk through the gospels and I walk through various scenarios in life. So I walk through, how do we touch our own bodies? So how are we, I think self-care is such a hot topic right now. And we either have two sort of, the pendulum either goes two ways, which is, I think for a lot of Christians, it's like, oh, that's, you know, the world's view of, of caring. But I also think that it can be, we can just be super indulgent. And so so we talk through self-touch, we talk through friendship, we talk through singleness, we talk through, I'm trying to list them all, marriage, dating, the family, and then the world. And then we just engage with Jesus in each of those chapters. And so, yeah, that's it from a high level. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. And I've never read a book on this topic. So I think that's unique. it, It seems like it's a unique subject matter, I guess, and and the way you're approaching it. And maybe it's because we are in a unique time. You know, this is like this point in history has never happened before, um, which is always true. But I think everyone is aware that there's just a lot of crisis and a lot of upheaval around all of the brokenness that we see in everything God's created. And yet we know, you know, the reason that's upsetting is because it's not supposed to be this way. And everybody knows that even if they're not a Christian, they know that, you know, you just, it's built into you. This is wrong. So what prompted you to write this book? You said you have a story of sexual abuse in your own past. Yeah. So not just sexual abuse in my past, but also suffering. So all kinds of suffering. So we suffer in our families, regardless of how they discipline us, there is some amount of suffering or processing those kind of things even in my singleness, just a long period of singleness and realizing long periods of just not being touched at all. And then other periods of touch being confusing among same gender touch or in dating relationships. And then in marriage, I was, you know, I got married at 34 and I just expected, oh, off limits now. (laughs) We can touch whenever we want. And my husband is not a touchy person at all. Mm -hmm. And so just sort of navigating that and navigating, like even just touch around sex. Like for me, touch was something that was more platonic. For him, it was like sexual. And so how do we navigate touch in a non-sexual way in our marriage Mm -hmm. when it's not, you know, we're not having sex. And so all these things are just part of my story. And so, yeah, sexual abuse as a child, but I think that was just one part of many things that really I think just led to a lot of confusion for me. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Um, We all probably have this 
sort of like one point in our story where we're probably more aware of, of how painful and broken the world is mm-hmm. around touch. Mm-hmm. But I think we all have those, we all have this sort of running narrative happening. And that's really what I'm talking about in Handle a Care. So I say again and again in the book that my aim isn't to tell you how to touch people or where or when or who to touch, but it's to get you to think about how you're touching and who you're touching and where and why and all those things. Because I don't think what we need is more rules around these things. I think we have plenty of books telling us what not to do. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, hey, I want to back up and say, how do you think through your own story? Mm-hmm. How are you thinking through your own sort of narrative of brokenness, your own narrative of joy, your own narrative of your life? And then how are you approaching others? And so how are you looking at them and just understanding that they also have a narrative of brokenness and joy and life and and all those things? Because I think that's what Jesus did. He brought the fullness of himself to dwell among us and to dwell, to live, to be face-to-face with others in the story that they're living. Yeah. That's true. And it's not, you know, maybe something that a lot of us have learned or thought about even in our Christian education as we've grown up in Sunday school and in church. Like, I don't know if I've really ever thought very deeply about that, you know, the way that Jesus did touch people in his earthly ministry. And even in a way, it's like, it's sort of, which maybe this is just revealing my own issues, but it's it's sort of awkward to think about that for me. Like, well, what? I don't know. I'm not sure what to do with that, you know? Is that just because he's Jesus or, you know, is that what I'm supposed to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think you're not alone in that. I think it's awkward for everyone. It's, it's awkward for me. Yeah. And I, I, what I don't want to say is that we shouldn't feel that awkwardness because I think that awkwardness is actually a gift. I think what we typically do with awkwardness is we run the other direction or we just don't allow ourselves the space to think critically or theologically about something if it's awkward mm-hmm. or we, we throw a rule down because we yeah. don't want to engage with the awkward. But I, when I think about walking by faith, I think that means walking through situations where we can't see the other side, where we can't predict how it's going to end. We can't predict the outcome. And that's actual faith. And so what does it mean to walk by faith as a body engaging other bodies? What does it mean to navigate the world through eyes of faith and not just eyes of fear around awkwardness or and, and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I think that is my tendency. I'm sure, you know, we all kind of probably react differently, but my tendency is to kind of, yeah, what, well, what rule can I follow? Like, if this is weird, give me a black and white, you know, because I don't want the gray. And I think that's, I, mean, I don't know if that's the right way of explaining it, but I know. I, I, I think handle with care is all about the gray. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that is why it's uncomfortable because it, we, we often, you know, rely on those, you know, kind of, is it right or wrong? Is it good or bad? Yeah. And it is more complex than that. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, PrepDish. PrepDish is a meal planning service where they provide you a grocery list, step-by-step instructions, and a selection of meals that you get to pick from. And what you do is one day in the week, you spend two to three hours prepping all of the meals. So chopping, marinating, mixing sauces, that sort of thing. So that on dish day, the day you're going to eat that meal, you can open up your fridge, get the things out that are already prepped and ready to eat or heat up, whatever it may be, depending on the meal. 
so that you can spend less time cooking each day and more time enjoying mealtime with your family. Each daily prep time per meal is a quick and easy 20 to 30 minutes. And here's an example of a few of the recipes that came to my inbox this week. Oriental cashew chicken with zoodles, balsamic pork chops with roasted broccoli and rice, bison burgers with carrot and parsnip fries, lemon chicken breasts with sauteed spinach and mushrooms and rice. These are things that I would not think to create and they're not complicated recipes. I know they're healthy and they're good. And if my husband wants to add some bread to one of the paleo recipes, then he can do that. But there are things that are going to make me feel good and kind of push me into trying new things that I wouldn't have otherwise uh, recipes that I might not have even thought of. So I love this service and I know you guys will too. If you want to get a two week free trial, go to prepdish.com slash kindled. So is there anything specifically in your past? I mean, I know you've touched on a few of the things, how touch kind of informed your perspective from sexual abuse to, I know you mentioned miscarriages. I mean, is there anything that you would want to kind of speak to specifically for the woman listening who probably has experienced some of those things? Mm -hmm. And I know everyone has various different situations in their life, but specifically how that situation kind of was a challenge for you or forced you to kind of start to ask some of these questions? Yeah, I think I remember really clearly, I'll just talk about miscarriage for a minute. I I remember really clearly, it was after the, probably the third, I think it was the third miscarriage. I remember this very clear feeling that like I hated my body. It was just this feeling of disgust toward my body and that played over in marriage and we're newly married a few years and it was a pretty healthy sex life. And, but it just played over in feeling just kind of dirty and like there was something intrinsically wrong with my body. Mm, yeah. And so, and that is that, I think that was, that was maybe the first time that that feeling came and it just, con- just continued to get worse and worse as time went on, especially like the more miscarriages I would have the more I would feel that toward my body. And then I would say sort of the climax of that is, is with the ectopic pregnancy. That was just a a traumatic, traumatic. I was in the hospital for a week. It was very traumatic for my body and invasive. You know, they, they do surgery, they removed part of my reproductive system. And, and so that was just, I think that just landed me in a place where I, and and I don't, I I don't want to lie and say like, I've come through that. I think I'm still in a place where, I have a lot of sort of disgust toward my whole body in a lot of ways and trauma that it kind of endured in around those things. And I think that's probably really common for a lot of women, maybe not the miscarriage or pregnancy loss, but I think, you know, I have friends who have babies and they're just thrown into this tailspin of postpartum depression or just their body change, their stretch marks and, you know, fluffy places that weren't fluffy before and right. all these things. And so I think it it takes some candid conversations, I think, with your spouse and just saying, and this is really hard and really vulnerable because I think yeah. I think men's bodies are so different than women's bodies. I think when I think around like things like weight loss. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be too general, but men, a lot of men find it really easy to lose weight really quickly. Yeah. Like my husband, all he has to do is, you know, eat whole 30 for a couple of weeks and he drops <laughs> 25 pounds. And right. I'm like, what in the world? Who are um, you? And yeah. And so it's, it can be, temp- it can be really hard to 
sort of discuss these things candidly with their spouses because their bodies are different than ours. And our world is really set up for a man's body. It's set up, you know, not hopefully this isn't too graphic, but like women have cycles and we, oh yeah, yeah, we've got one week we're feeling, you know, great and on top of the world. And another week we're feeling totally despondent and low and have no energy. And those aren't spiritual conditions. That's, that's the condition of our body engaging in the world. And so having these conversations can be really difficult with our husbands because they have different bodies Yeah, and they're going to experience disgust and loss and all of those things in different ways. Right. So you're right. We are totally different. And I think it's, it's important to be honest about that because that is actually God's design. Not now I'm not talking about the brokenness of it, but the fact that we are different and we experience the world differently and we're the ones with cycles and they are, and they're the ones with the higher metabolism and the larger muscle mass and all of those things, which are blessings and are good things. There's just a lot of people that actually want to deny the fact that there's a difference between men and women and make us the same. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's actually helpful in this conversation in any, I don't think that um, denying the differences is actually helpful in getting to why we experience the world differently and, and how that is actually part of God's design. And I guess my question for you would be, since you are you are someone that has obviously written a book on this and you've been reading and researching and, and thinking about these things, what have you learned in terms of like the differences in the way that we we exist in the world as bodies, as women with a body and men with a body? And what have you like what are some of the ways that you've seen that? I mean, we all we all know, you know, kind of like you were talking about, the the world seems to be set up for men, but it can't be like God's design can't be bad. And so then is there a specific way that God is desiring for us to experience him differently as women versus as men? And I don't know, I I feel like I have a lot of questions around that that issue. Yeah, I think that one of the things I talk about, especially in the chapter on marriage, is that before my husband is my husband, he's my brother in Christ and he's an image bearer of God. And I think that's where we really go wrong here is that we tend to sort of our construct for the opposite gender is to think about them primarily in terms of sex. And I'm not talking about the act of sex. I'm talking about them as sexual beings. And we forget, oh, they're actually like before they're a sexual being, they're my brother in Christ. Mm -hmm. And before they're my brother in Christ, they're an image bearer of God. So it's so much more complex than just merely a sexual being who wants sex and, or a a woman who just had a baby and maybe doesn't want sex. Like it's just more complex than that. And we have to, I think we have to return to, this is not a new conversation. I mean, people have written extensively about this, just return to, to viewing one another as image bearers of the most high God, which I think if we, we can really look at it like that and sort of slow our reaction time with how how we're engaging with other bodies, just slow our reaction time. We can see, you know, everyone's operating out of their brokenness, but they're also operating as best as they can to image God. Even people who aren't believers, mm-hmm. but who genuinely want to do good and right things or be good people or moral people, they're, they don't even know it, but eternity is written on their hearts and they want to be like God. And not always in like, a, I want to be God. They actually want to be like God. Yeah. Like the drive to create, for instance, or to be artistic or to build or to protect, you know, those are all things that 
all ways that we image God as humans. Is there any specific ways that you have learned that God desires to, or his design has enabled you specifically as a woman, woman, me specifically as a woman to experience him differently? Yeah, I think the thing that comes to mind, and it's not necessarily exactly regarding women, but the thing that comes to mind is I think about the disciple that Jesus loved, John. And in again and again in his gospel, he refers to himself as this disciple that Jesus loved. And then toward the end of the gospel at the Last Supper, we see him reclining against Jesus. And so the thing that I make the argument for in the book around that topic, around that story, is that knowing we are loved by God, it frees us to not operate in fear around these issues. It frees us. Like the love of God, the one who abides in Christ, has the freedom to recline against Jesus Mm. and to be intimate with Jesus in a way that I think a lot of us really struggle with because we don't believe that we're truly loved by God. And I don't, I don't believe that I'm truly loved by God. It's something I have to wrestle through and think through and process and pray through. So I think I just would want readers to know. And one of the feedback that we keep getting from people is, I felt so loved by God reading this book. And I love that because that was my aim. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like one of the ways that, like we said earlier, we all have these these different scars or bruises or, or places in our past that, you know, maybe we think we've healed from or we we know for certain we haven't healed from. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of us, that even is like so much further back than a recent time where, you know, and I did just have a baby three months ago. So there's certainly, you know, a disconnect between my body now and yeah. the body that I see in pictures of myself 10 years ago. And it's like, man, like, what happened? Who am I? <laughs> oh, like, where did those pants go? Yeah. But even further back, you know, I know in high school, you know, when I, my first kind of serious relationship, there was things in that relationship that I think caused a disconnect as well from, you know, whether it's like your first kiss or things that you knew you weren't supposed to be doing and going directly against your parents, you know, directive and rules and getting outside of that there. It's like from the very first time we kind of violate those black and white, those hard rules, I think there we are introducing like distance between ourselves and our bodies, you know, because it's like, it's a bad thing. And that's, you know, at least for me and my story, I know there's probably a lot of people who have similar experiences where, you know, I've kind of always felt my body is bad. I've always, mm-hmm. always, I've always felt like it was, you know, something maybe to be ashamed of or to live in some kind of guilt around I think we feel surprised by those feelings when they come like, Oh my God, I feel like my body is bad. (laughs) Like we, we feel like, Oh, there's something really wrong with me that I feel like Mm -hmm. that. And I think one of the first sins we see in scripture, we see Eve is talking to, to the serpent and, and Eve says to the serpent, God said we couldn't eat or touch. Mm -hmm fruit. And God never said that they couldn't touch it. Now, obviously it's wisdom probably to not touch something you can't have, but here's Eve sort of adding to what God said, and she's doing it because she's afraid. Mm -hmm. And so just like recognizing we all have these, these fears, even people who feel totally comfortable in their bodies, there are some places where these things sort of break down. Maybe they fear aging or they fear I don't know. I don't know what their fears are, but I think those fears just result in sin. And so we start sinning because we have a fear. And so Eve's fear 
was, I don't know what it was rooted in for her specifically, but it caused her to add to the word of God. And we know that that's not good. And so we want to think through what does the word of God actually say about our bodies? And the word of God says that God created our bodies wonderfully and beautifully and intricately. And what that tells me is that to be intricately created means that there was deep attention given to that body. And so that tells me that God gave deep attention to the way that your body was formed Mm. as a 13-year-old, as a 20-year-old, as a 25-year-old, postpartum. Like he's intricately involved in healing and loving and caring for your body as it is today. You know, I I wrote a couple weeks ago on my blog Sayable about this is your body today. And I think we're, we're always kind of thinking you know, I want to fit into my pre-pregnancy genes or I want to, you know, I lost my body or, oh, I wish I had the body I had when I got married or those kind of things. And I think that that's, we're not recognizing that God is attentive to our bodies today and he's caring for our bodies today and he loves our bodies today. Of course, he wants to love them into the wholeness that we're going to have in the future when we're face to face with him. But he, it doesn't mean he doesn't love our bodies today. Yeah, man, that's a great point. Great way to look at that. What would a world with appropriate focus on touch look like since we're talking about, you know, the body and touch and all of those things? Like, what does that actually look like for that to happen in a good way? I think it takes attention. And this is going to sound selfish, but I think of it in the same way that we think of putting the oxygen mask on you before you can put it on others. I think it takes attention to your own body. It takes caring for your body as an embodied being, as an image bearer, as a child of God. It takes real attention to that. And I don't mean like obsessive attention to the image of the body Mm -hmm. you want. And so by that, I mean, don't pay attention to what you see in the mirror, Mm -hmm. but pay attention to how does my body feel right now? And um, what does my body need right now? What kind of food does my body need right now? What kind of food does my body not need right now? And those, thinking through those things, that's primary. And then I think secondary, then we put the oxygen mask on others. And I think the way that we do that is not to sort of force our beliefs about the body on them, but we begin to see them as image bearers, the fellow image bearers, and we begin to care for them as image bearers. We begin to nurture them and love them and have empathy for the story that they're living as well. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful picture. And that's something that I struggle with is empathy. So I think it's helpful for us to remember, for me to remember, like not everyone has my story. And there's a lot of, even though I might not identify with how you experience touch in this world or have experienced it or how you're working through it to realize that like God actually in through Jesus has experienced this world and has experienced what we have and he has been embodied and, you know, and Jesus today still has a body. And so it's just amazing to think that he would come to us and he would live in this world and experience the sickness and the brokenness of this world, but yet remain fully God and obviously die a perfect death. But it's just insane to, I mean, actually realize that Jesus took the form of a a little baby and that Mary had stretch marks, you know, all of the things from Jesus. It's just like, what? It's crazy. Yeah. But we haven't talked about this and I think it's worth touching on because you brought it up at the beginning, but the idea of how this message does relate to kind of the me too culture that we live in, the church too, Another thing that you, uh, I know, talk about is purity culture and, and how 
you know, just all of those things, which a lot of us, you know, have grown up around and, and are still living in the midst of the brokenness of those things. How does this message relate to that? I think that it relates because if you think about things like Me Too, Church Too, purity culture, those kind of things, they came because somebody wasn't thinking. <laughs> like somebody was just reacting to what was happening mm-hmm. in culture or somebody was reacting to their desires in the moment. And I think to to see a way through these things, we have to start thinking about them and and not just sort of pushing them off or thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me or they're just complaining or whatever. Like we've got to think through these things. And I think we've got to think critically about them and biblically about them and also just tenderly about them, recognizing that we aren't perfect and we do not live in a perfect world. And so people are going to make mistakes and people are going to fail and people are going to sin. And there is the cross for that. And there's grace for that. God has given us the ability to extend grace to others. And so I just think being thoughtful and gentle with others and with ourselves around these subjects. Yeah, that's great. And helpful to helpful to hear because I think we obviously live in a time where it's like reaction building upon reaction. Yeah. And nobody's actually listening to each other, which is like, well, I don't like that you said that. Well, I don't like that you did that. Well, me neither. You know, it's just back and forth and it's not helpful. And it isn't actually how Jesus engaged with the world no. when he was here at all. No. What do you hope that readers will learn from reading Handle With Care? I think one of the things I say in the book is that we're all carrying with us an issue of blood, like the woman who had the issue of blood that came and touched Jesus' robe. We're all carrying sort of systemic brokenness. We're carrying not just our own brokenness. We're carrying generational brokenness. We're carrying genetic brokenness. We're carrying the weight of sin from the, from the beginning. And so for us to recognize that and to walk in empathy toward others and toward ourselves and looking looking to Jesus who has finished the race and just trusting that we can, that he has a plan for this brokenness that we experience and feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I love how you brought that out and kind of made, um, I don't know, just the connection between the woman with the blood, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that we all have an issue of blood and that's obviously touching on the fact that, you know, we've got, we've got those issues of generational sin. We've got the issues that we just have as being people Mm -hmm. with bodies because sin has been passed down from our father, Adam. And it's just, I mean, it's pervasive. And so I'm grateful that you are sharing your story through this book and that you're talking about it and talking about the awkward, hard, weird things that I think we need to talk more about. So thanks for sharing that with us today. Yeah, of course. Well, Lori, thank you so much. Where can people find you and connect with you online? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Lori Wilbert, L-O-R-E-W-I-L-B-E-R-T, or at my blog, sayable.net, S-A-Y-A-B-L-E.net. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure and come back next week for that episode with Rosie McKinney that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. And don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at HaleyWilliams.Kindled. Leave the podcast a rating and a review if you would. I love reading how it is encouraging and impacting you in even the margins of your day, whenever you're finding time to listen. I read every single review and I would love for you to leave one if you haven't done so yet. 
Okay, guys, thank you again, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.